It's good to be here, and uh, thank you, Pastor Nathaniel. Uh, I think if Nathaniel wasn't ordained, we could have the kids call him Mr. T for short, but uh, uh, that's just my little idea. Uh, As I was getting this sermon ready, I was, as I often am, distracted by uh, things like uh, Google Chrome, and uh, ended up on... Amazon.com, and had a wonderful illustration of something I'd been thinking about and was looking for a way to put into words. And one of the advertisements sponsored by somebody said this, New Year, New You. And it's precisely that that I'm here to tell you is not actually at all true. And uh, New Year's is a time when we come and we think that way. We think It's a new year, so I'm going to be different. Uh, We think this is the year, unlike every other previous year, when I am going to stay in shape better than the year before. It is the time when uh, we decide that I'm going to knuckle down, I'm going to stay in shape, I'm going to eat better, no more carbs ever. Uh, And it suddenly seems a good idea to buy things like a Nordic track, And I read this, too, that according to one survey, 80% of Americans uh, pledge to to lose weight on January 1st every year. 69% have either given up or failed by March. Uh, And if you're like me, uh, you're one of those. Uh, You may not be, uh, but... One of the things that we also tend to make resolutions about is our spiritual life. And every year we tend to come at not only things like fitness, but spirituality with the idea that this year will be different. This is the year when I'm going to read through uh, the entire Bible, uh, and I'm going to make it through all of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, and on and on. And sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Often it doesn't. Uh, But what I'm here to talk about today uh, through the text before us is that when we resolve to live a better spiritual life, we're deceiving ourselves. And that resolution, discipline, and dedication, while all good things, while they are things we're called to have, called to do, and where it's actually something I'd recommend to make a resolution to read the whole Bible, to spend more time in prayer, to do all of those things, that resolution, that strength of will, that our own effort uh, is not how we grow in the faith. It's certainly not how we become closer to God. Again, our temptation is to think that this year will be different, uh, that we are suddenly a new person. Uh, Experience teaches us otherwise, and if we're honest, we see this play out. Well, in our text today, we see uh, a little snippet of a conversation that happened in a very interesting and difficult time in Israel's history. Uh, Pastor Nathaniel alluded to some of it, 
And we're coming in, we're just listening on, on a little bit, but I do want to kind of flesh out what was going on. Uh, and so for those of you who are taking notes, the first thing that I'll be talking about is the plight of Israel and of the state of Israel as they have been brought out of Egypt and promptly fallen away in rebellion uh, in a very blatant, obvious, uh, if I may say so, stupid way. Uh, They have come out from Egypt, all two million of them. They have seen the power of God demonstrated over and over again. They've seen the Nile turn to blood. They've seen frogs, lice, flies uh, go out of control by the power of God. They've seen livestock die. They've seen locust plagues. They've, They've seen the sky go black for days just over Egypt, not over them. And they've seen the Red Sea part, and God go before them in a pillar of cloud and of fire, physically, gloriously. And they have seen God and heard God speak to them. They initially received the Ten Commandments out loud, and it's terrifying. They say to Moses, Moses, we can't handle this. If God keeps talking to us, we're going to die. You go. Go up to, you know, go meet with God. You tell us uh, what God is going to tell us. And by the way, they also say this, uh, and this I think is a a very key moment. Uh, Moses actually does tell the people what God says. And at one point they say this, Exodus 24, 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. A bold claim uh, that they would keep everything that God said. And yet, while Moses is gone, Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai. And I always tell my students, uh, Mount Sinai is easy to picture in some ways because it's about the same height as Olamana. So if you can p- picture the Israelites camped out here and God present in a fiery cloud of glory right over Olamana, that's, that's the setting. God isn't off at the top of Mount Everest, uh, barely visible in the distance. God is present in their neighborhood. They've heard him. They've seen all these things. They've said, we're going to keep everything that, the God, that God told us to keep. And a little bit later, 40 days later, while the cloud is still there, while God is still visible, they come to Aaron. And they say this in Exodus 32. Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. He's been gone for over a month. Maybe God killed him. Uh, Give us a God that we can point to, that we can relate to, that won't frighten us. And Moses 
or sorry, and Aaron goes along with it, and they take off their their gold rings, their gold earrings that the Israel that the Egyptians gave them, and they make a cow, and they worship the cow. Now, if you've read all of the things in the book of Exodus, and then if you've read Deuteronomy beyond that, you know that there are consequences to breaking God's law. In this case, the consequences come swiftly and almost destroy Israel completely. Like I said, we're just zooming in on a little part of it that we've heard, but there's a longer conversation. And Moses comes down and Joshua with him, and they hear this this noise, and Joshua thinks the people must be in battle. Moses says, no. They're living it up. They're partying. And they've broken the, the covenant. And when Moses smashes the tablets, it's not that Moses has flown off the handle. Though he is angry, that's true. He is giving a demonstration that the covenant with God has been broken, that they are covenant breakers. And the, the curse for breaking the law of God is death. And as such, as lawbreakers, they deserve death, and that could have been the end of the story. And God and Moses have a conversation, and God says, look, people have broken my law. Tell you what, Moses, I'll destroy them because they're wicked. I'll start again with you. And Moses has the boldness to say, God, don't do that. You promised. You promised you would take Israel out. You promised Abraham things. You made promises. And God listens. But before we go there, I want to say that Israel is not unique. We're not looking back at those foolish Israelites saying, wow, what a messed up people they were. I wouldn't have done that. Uh, Biblically, you and I absolutely would have. And uh, one illustration of this, equally... Uh, equally stupid in many ways, is that when Jesus was uh, going on trial, when Jesus was about to be sentenced to death, all the disciples fell away. And Peter, who said, I am willing to die with you, denied Jesus three times, and wept when he heard the rooster crow. And Peter's resolution was shown to be weak. And as all humans are, without, without the power of God behind him, uh, he could not stand. And we are no different. We resolve to follow Jesus with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we fail all the time. And again, it could have been, that God could have said, these people are a mess. Trinity Presbyterian Church is a mess. And he would have been right. And he would have been right to reject all of us. But there's good news on the way, 
And this is not a sermon where it's all heavy, bad news. There is good news here. Second main point is Moses suggests a fair compromise. Or sorry, God, God suggests a fair compromise. The next thing that we see in Exodus 33 is that after God says, okay, okay, I won't destroy Israel, I'll keep my word, uh, he actually says this. Uh, he says that instead of going with them, because they are a wicked and stiff-necked people, they're stubborn and they're going to rebel again, which they will over and over and over and over again, uh, God says this to Moses. The Lord says to Moses, this is verse 1, go, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not grow but I will not go with you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. You are stubborn. Now Moses could have said, all right, that's a fair deal. Uh, that's a way for you to keep your promises. Uh, you save face before the Egyptians. Everybody's happy. Nobody sees it that way. Even the Israelites, at this point, come to their senses, and they start weeping because God said, I'm not going with you. True, they would receive material blessing, but they wouldn't have the presence of God with them, and they realize this is a big deal. Now, it's also worth pausing again to look at ourselves at this point and ask, do we value God's gifts more than we value God himself? When we look at our prayer life, do we pray for the presence of God or do we pray for gifts from God? Are we more concerned that the Spirit is in our life or that we are living a prosperous life? And... I think if we're honest, there are times when we certainly do exactly that. Uh, and it's worth saying, are we concerned with having the Spirit with us? Now Moses does an amazing thing here. A second time, he intercedes for the people. And he says... It would be better if you just killed me and blotted out my name than, than if, uh, if you didn't save your people. Uh, and though that, I think, is in the, the other text. Um, but here he says to God, you need to come with us. You have to go with us. If you don't go with us, none of this is worth anything. Uh, and he pleads with God, and he goes before God, and he reminds God, and of course we know as 
good Reformed theologians. God knows all things. God is not surprised by any of this. All this is God's plan from the beginning. But he reminds God of the promises that he has made, and he reminds God that Israel is tied to his glory. Uh, And that's really an amazing thing. Here, Israel is the nation that is representing God in the world. Well, they've done a terrible job of it so far. They got out of Egypt, and right away they said, oh, did you take us out here to kill us? We're hungry. We have no food. We have no water. What was the point of all this, Moses? We want to go back where at least we had meat. Uh, And then later, they'll complain again and again and again. They've made the golden calf. They've broken the covenant. And yet, God has chosen them to be his representatives on earth. And as Moses intercedes, uh, one of the things he does is he says to God that, look, if you're with your people, uh, your glory will be shown. Here we have in Moses a picture of the intercession of Christ. Like Israel, we are lawbreakers. Like Israel, we deserve to be cut off. Like Israel, we are stubborn and thick-skulled, and we miss the point over and over and over again. And yet, like Israel, we have been chosen to be a kingdom of priests. We are people who bear God's name, who bear the name of Jesus. And as dimly and as imperfectly as we do this, we bear God's image, we bear Jesus' name, and we are the body of Christ. And we are tied to Jesus' glory. And, of course, later, with the second coming of Christ, we will fully bear God's glory. We will fully reflect Christ, and we will be radiant with the glory of God. Moses says to God, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. God, these are your people. Be with them. And God answers. And the answer is absolutely astounding. God says, all right, I'll go with you. Why? Because, Moses, I know your name. That's an amazing statement. This very, verse 17, and the Lord says to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in your sight, and I know you by name. God would be with his people after all. And the third point is the importance of the presence of God. It was important for Israel. It is absolutely important for us. And the good news that I have for you is God not only knew Moses' name, he knows your name. And not because of anything you or I have done, but his words to Moses, God's words to Moses, are also his words to you. 
I have found favor with you, and I know you by name. And I'm going to be with you. As the new year comes, it is customary for us to find renewal and renewed dedication and resolution as kind of our source for how things are going to be different. The good news of the gospel is that things will be different because God is in your midst. And we should be a people like Israel who cry out to God for God to be with us. We should be a people, though we aren't always, if we're honest, who desire God's presence more than his gifts. Now, when it comes to making resolutions, again, I won't say don't make them. Uh, It is a great thing to have kind of a yearly cycle where we can take stock of our lives and where we can say, hey, I really need to make some changes. Uh, And certainly, it would be a good idea for me to read the scripture more, to pray more. Uh, Those are good things. But when it comes to how do we change, it is actually the presence of God in our midst that brings about change. It is the presence of God in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that renews us. And one of the great things is that that's not something we do. God shows up. And he does things. And that's true of Israel. When you, if we were to continue reading Exodus through Malachi, it's like being hit with a hammer that these people are not safe because of anything they're doing. Uh, they are a mess. Uh, and again, we're no different. But we see over and over that God is with them. And we see over and over in our lives that God is with us. So if we don't change by will or by resolution, how do we change? And there are a couple things I want to draw our attention to. One is Paul's words to the Galatians. The Galatians were a church that were tempted to find at least some of their meaning and some of their uh, acceptance before God through works of the law. And Paul says this, among other things, to them in Galatians 3, 2 to 3, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh, by the flesh? Paul's point there is, look, you became Christians because God through his spirit, took something dead and made it alive. How do we get better as Christians? Using the words of theology, how are we sanctified? We are not sanctified by works any more than we're justified by works. We're not made better people any differently than we were saved from sin. Both are acts of God, acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, one thing that we can do is that we can humble ourselves. And over and over again in the scriptures, we see this. We certainly see this 
In our passage, Moses humbles himself, the people humble themselves, and in their humility, God hears them and decides not to destroy them, but instead to bless them and go with them. 1 Peter 5, 6-7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's an interesting paradox of Christianity that we don't become better by resolving to come better, to, by resolving to become better. We don't become more righteous by trying to be more righteous. We become more righteous. We become better by giving up on ourselves and by uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus, bowing down before him and saying, I can't do it. I can't keep your law. I can't uh, resolve and then pray better. Uh, Not in my own strength. Uh, Every time I try, I fail. And one of the paradoxes of Christianity is that we, as we humble ourselves and acknowledge that, God smiles at us and he says, I'm going to do something in you. And he lifts us up. There's one other text that uh, is actually connected with the, the passages that we've been talking about. Pastor Nathaniel mentioned uh, right after this, and it's actually right after our text in Exodus 33, Moses asks to see God, and God says, you can't look directly at me, it'll destroy you, but I'll let you see my glory from behind. And when Moses comes down, he's glowing, and the Israelites are freaked out, and Moses actually has to put on a veil for a while uh, until the glory fades partly because the Israelites were freaked out, partly because uh, Moses didn't want the people to see the glory of God fading. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul picks up on all of this. And in talking about the presence of God, he has this to say, and I'm going to read um, 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18. Uh, But it's the, the latter part. Uh, that that I'm focusing on here. Second Corinthians four sixteen, sorry. Second Corinthians four twelve through eighteen. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Again, his face shining and becoming dim over time. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns it to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's an interesting thing here 
what Paul seems to be saying is that by having the glory of God in your midst, by having God with you, that light that comes out of God is actually changing you, changing all of us. And that's not something we do. It's something that happens to us. One of the great things about this is it means that once you are a Christian, once you have the Holy Spirit, this is happening to you on bad days. This is happening to you when you're not feeling particularly spiritual, when you're feeling rebellious. The light of God's glory is shining on you. And at times that will feel like the Holy Spirit bugging you because of your own wickedness, uh, your own stubbornness. At other times, it will feel wonderful, like sunlight hitting your face. But God has promised that he will be with you. He promised to Israel that he would not leave them, no matter what. Even if they started worshiping other gods, even if they started sacrificing babies to Molech, the abomination. They did those things. And yes, there were consequences. But God said, they're my people. I know them by name. And God knows your name. And he has promised to be with you. In closing, I want to say this. If you're someone who does not know God in this way. The gospel says, the Bible says, you can be a Christian. You can be in the presence of God and have God be with you by believing that Jesus came for you and died for you. And by saying, I can't do it. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, I want to follow you. To those of you who do know God, he is with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus promised this to his disciples as he was ascending. Behold, I am with you until the very end of the age. Amen. Let's pray.